0: Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve.
1: Hi, everyone. Harvey Asher sexaholic. I've been sexually sober 37 years, um, one day at a time. This is it. Our last session of the series, Um, and before we go into it, I want to thank first Malcolm, who made this all possible. Uh, I guess about 22 weeks of talks, plus his four weeks, because he Pushed me until I was willing to do this. (laughs) Gently pushed me. (laughs) But did a good job. And then to Daniel, who's been so devoted to getting these messages out around the world. And um, just amazing service work. Uh, Service work. As I always say about the program, it is not a cookie-cutter program. It's not one way. So there is service work like Daniel does, and service work like Malcolm did by pushing me. (laughs) There's service work of sponsoring of service work of organizational. I am a total failure in doing service work organizationally because of my personality. I will go into a intergroup meeting and suck the air out of the room. My way or the highway. It's not good for the fellowship nor me. So I don't think I've been at an organizational meeting in 20 years, if not more, for SA. What's my service work? Sponsoring a lot of people and writing articles for the SA, another form of service work to carry the message that we're Talk about it in the 12th step. So let's take a moment to just inhale and
0: exhale a bit.
1: And let's breathe through our nose this time and exhale through our mouth with a real loud sound. And let's together say this serenity prayer. God, Grant me the serenity to accept cannot change. To accept things I cannot change. I'm blocking. Someone say the serenity prayer from me. God, grant me the serenity. Accept the things I cannot change. Courage to change the things I can and wisdom to know the difference. Okay, do you know how many times I have said on my knees the third step prayer twice a day for almost 37 years and some mornings, I can't remember it. (laughs) That's what happens to the program. We think we know it and then for a moment it will vanish. (laughs)
2: 27,000 times.
1: got to keep doing it over and over. How do we talk about something that cannot have words? The 12th step has no words. A spiritual awakening. There are no words. going to do my best, but I was led this morning to realize how I wanted to do it, by telling you a story of someone who was never in the program, a man who lived in the early and mid-1700s. Hundreds and hundreds of years ago. He was a wild guy. Wild. He was in the British Navy. Did wild, crazy stuff. And then he became a slave trader. He captured human beings and chained them up and put them in ships and took them all over the world where they died on the ships. And it was the most inhumane of inhumanities that went on and on. And one day, this guy. wrote these words. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. He had a spiritual awakening. It moves me so deeply. He became an abolitionist. He helped free slaves. He had a total life shift. He was blind and then could see. That was me. I enslaved people around me. Through my thoughts, through my behaviors. I chained them up my family of the people, through my addiction. And then one day, I could see, what was it that I saw? Not that I was bad getting good. That I had an incurable disease, incurable, that affected my limbic system of my brain. A physical allergy accompanied by a mental obsession. that I was no different than a heroin addict or an alcoholic when it came to masturbation, lust, acting out, etc. Now, Bill W. had a special kind of spiritual awakening. His happened instantly after about six weeks of being introduced To these concepts, but it happened in the hospital when he was having DTs. (coughs) He was probably delirious when the wind blew and everything. He was probably shaken, probably almost had a seizure. (laughs) But whatever it was, he had a shift. My shift didn't have the wind blow through me and my all kinds of things happen. My shift was a gradual kind. And it's interesting that the man who wrote Amazing Grace, the slave trader, had a religious conversion two years before he stopped being a slave trader. He had a gradual spiritual awakening, the furniture changing in the brain. Now, what is this spiritual awakening in the furniture in the brain? It's not new furniture. A spiritual awakening is not necessarily new furniture in your head. It's the same furniture that's moved to a different part, another room in the house. Same furniture shifted around. So we don't become different people. We become the people we always were. Except that the disease had shifted that room. This room of holiness. Inner beauty. We are beautiful human beings made in the image of a power so great we can't comprehend it. So what happens, the furniture shifts, and as I've given this example time and time again, what do you mean, Harvey, you're fr- say furniture? Well, before I came to the program, all I was interested was seducing men and women to have sex with them. Now, how do I spend most of my day seducing men and women into recovery? I'm still seducing. I'm using my personality to suck you in. But I'm pulling you in for recovery, not to have sex with you. What did I do before recovery? All I wanted to do is to be around other people who are sex addicts, didn't know that name, but who had lots of sex, and talked about sex all the time. What do I do now in recovery? I hang around sex addicts all the time. And why do we speak about sex? I haven't changed. My direction has changed. The furniture got shifted to a different room. The house is the same. A house of seduction. The room's different. Why don't pulling people in? You know, over the years, years and years ago, especially what happened. I'd be speaking in front of hundreds of people. Here's this little guy on a, at a behind a podium at an international conference, and all of a sudden, I knew I owned the room. I had captured everyone in the room. You could feel it. You could see it. At all of a sudden, I learned what to do when that feeling came in. I would start to laugh and say, Hey, I caught you all. Remember, I'm just a crazy drunk. <laughs> same, same aspects. Where do I get this from? Or is it all bullcrap? The twelve and twelve. Our natural instincts who go that go into wrong directions. Why? Because I have a damaged brain. If I had a bet. 80 to 85% of people who hear me say I have a damaged brain, which means you probably have one too, but I could only talk for me, cringe. And they say, oh, man, I'm just morally screwed up. I don't have a damaged brain. I'm just bad. Now I'm trying to get better. And the 12 and 12 talks about that, too, under the first step. It says, who wants to think they're different than other men, other people? I'm damaged. My chemistry is not like a normal man. I'm 81 years old. I'm telling you, my disease still filters everything sexually. It just has no power over me today. You know, I tell the same stories because I only have one story over and over. My wife and I are walking down the street, and this young couples walking towards us. This guy and gal are looking in love and walking with each other, and I say to my wife when they pass, isn't it amazing how everyone is going to have sex with each other, that they're going home to have sex? And my wife says, what are you talking about, Harvey? And she'll say, is that all you think about? And I said, absolutely. (laughs) What else do you think when you see a guy and a gal holding hands, walking in a certain direction? Because my brain's not like other brains. I grow orchid plants and all kinds of orchids. They look like genitals to me, male and female genitals. What can I tell you? Everything that goes in my brain gets filtered through a sexual filter. But immediately through the program comes another filter underneath the sexual filter that filters it into recovery. So it does not have power over me. Now, why do I keep emphasizing this on the last session, especially because so many people react to their getting better as they're cured? They're cured from an incurable illness. They think they're cured and that they could start taking that second look again. They could start playing with the fantasies again. I wish you well. I don't do that. Why? It's not because I'm a goody-goody. It's because I've watched you do it. And I see how it certainly doesn't work for you. So I let you do it for me. I let you do the experimentation. And I haven't seen it yet. The thousands of people I've seen come and go. Haven't seen anyone come back and say, yes, it was much better relapsing. Yeah, it was terrific relapsing. There's a guy in AA who would ask people after they relapsed, hey, was it better this time? Was it better? And the guy guy would say no. And then this old timer would say, foiled again. I'm waiting for one person at least to say it was better. And then maybe, just maybe, I'll give it some consideration. Relapse is not a prerequisite for recovery in this program. Now, when I get kind of didactic and lecturing and all, you know I'm in fear. I had an experience the other day. I was on one of my regular essay meetings had lots of people on it, and for whatever reason, I had been going to some other meetings, and on Zoom, you see it so well. There were so many different people within weeks at the meeting. People just don't make it in this program very much. And it's not a complicated issue. It's because they have not had a spiritual awakening. That they are sick with an incurable, progressive, fatal disease if this is what you have. Now, many people come to this program who really aren't sex addicts. They might have abused sex have got in trouble with it, but they're not what the big book call real alcoholics, real sexaholics. If you're a real sexaholic, every time you relapse, your disease will have progressed and it will be tougher to come back. Other people get a lot out of SA. They de-shame things, but they're not necessarily sex addicts. And I'm never going to use scare tactics because it's not true. 37 years ago, a lot of guys and gals from AA would come to our meetings when we first started in Nashville. And I'm in AA and i see them years later, and they're not covered up, they're not locked up, but they needed to get off them. They couldn't tell their shame story to anyone in AA, and they got a lot out of coming to the meetings and hearing about masturbation and talking about it, and then they went off and they did okay. But if you're a real sexaholic, that's not how it comes. And the first major spiritual awakening is not in the 12th step. So the first step. You are allergic or you're not allergic to lust. Those of us who have had the awakening Get it in the first step. I am allergic. I'm not bad getting good. I am not a normal man. I am am a man who lost my legs and will never be able to grow new ones. Now, does that mean we're allergic to sex? No, we're allergic to lust. Or many of us in the program who were married wouldn't be sober today. And certainly Roy, our founder, was having sex with his wife. How do I know that? Because in the book he says, in my different periods of abstinence, of of abstinence, Well, if you have different periods of abstinence, it means you weren't always abstinent in recovery. So a spiritual awakening, what the heck is it? It's that I'm blind and then I see. Now, I went blind in um about 18 years ago in recovery on one eye and um, six surgeries. They never could get the vision back. But, you know, one day I said, God, my wife helped me during six surgeries. She was there for me. She helped me. Gee, maybe maybe. She really loves me. I had to go blind to see how my wife loved me. I was blind and then could see. We go to Aspen, Colorado most summers, and we were walking down the Street during the summer. And there was this massive rock right next to the sidewalk, massive, right down in the town. I had been there for probably 30 years, never saw that rock. (laughs) One day I saw it. (laughs) An awakening. Now, this gets a little more complex, but very simple. Everything's a dream. Nothing's really real. When we're dreaming at night... We know it's not real when we wake up in the morning. The difference with dreaming at night and thinking in the day is merely we're conscious, we're awake, so we think it's real. But none of this is real What I'm seeing isn't real. I'm seeing you there, but you're really digits. You're pixels. You're not real. When we're together with each other, I don't see you. If I actually saw you, you're made of what, 95% water? You just look like water. I've been taught to eliminate the other things and just see what I've been taught to see. But it's not real. So this empty room where I'm in right now, it's totally empty. But it's not. If the sun were coming through at a certain angle, you would see it is filled with dust particles and mites and insects, all viruses, all kinds of things. Now what happens is in pornography, you actually believe this is real that a man could do it for an hour to two hours without an orgasm or something, that women love certain positions, (laughs) that women do this and men do that, all theatrics. And Roy describes it beautifully. In his book, Recovery Continues, that picture-perfect woman, she's looking at you. That woman is there for you, looking. She doesn't see everyone else, even though she can't anyway. (laughs) She's looking at you in your eyes. Drink to me only with thine eyes, and I will drink to thine. That's what Roy quotes. So our eyes fool us, and then we cannot see what's there. Having had a spiritual awakening we see what we did not see before I've recently read this book, it's very painful to read see what he said, he said write down all your beliefs and then ask yourself am I willing to let them go. That's beliefs are made up. Beliefs are merely what have been programmed into many. They're very non-spontaneous beliefs we have. We've been taught our beliefs from parents, religion, society. So in a spiritual awakening we begin to see the kingdom of heaven is within us. That there is nothing else but this power greater than ourselves. Everything else is non-reality. And the steps help us deflate the ego so we could see these things that we couldn't see within. What does ego do for us? It separates us. That's the only function of ego. I, me, mine. Ego is what starts coming in at about age two when we are told that is your brother's, that's not yours. This is your bottle. This is this, this is that. You learn by age two to separate from the world around you. So we get blinded to the concept that we are all made of the same substance. That's the awakening. The awakening we see manifested with us in this program Because we share from our weaknesses. We don't separate. We connect by sharing our weaknesses with each other rather than our strengths, which separate us. Boy, this is heavy stuff. <laughs> and if you think I know what I'm talking about, don't believe it. Because how can you ever know what a spiritual experience is through words? It is something you experience. Now, I have experienced these experiences of being totally porous and not being me. When it gets too powerful, I can't handle it. I shift into thinking. How do I get closest to it that feels safe for me? Through music. I hear certain music and I cry. It just reaches me. It reaches what? That me that has nothing to do with thinking. Spiritual awakenings come when you can bypass. Your intellect. Intellect is one of the most dangerous things for us addicts. Through intellect, some of the worst things in the world have been done from man to man. But what is spiritual? Wisdom. Wisdom does not come from our brain. Wisdom is how Bill W. calls the intuitive self, the next right thing. One step at a time, one day at a time. Being in the moment. Thanks for listening to all my bull crap. Remember, I'm just a day away from a drunk. Remember, as much and as good as I speak about all this, let me stop coming to these meetings. Let me not do my readings, let me not do my meditations, let me not have a sponsor, let me not have sponsees, let me get away from the program, I would predict within three to six months I would be back out there, even though I don't want to. I want to die sober. I don't actively lust today. But I have an incurable disease, someone from another country yesterday shared about this terrible thing that happened, that a sex addict, in quotes, who is sober, committed a crime that came out. And um, my response was, why are you so surprised? We're a very sick group of people. I'm a very sick man. Do you know how long it's taken me to get certain of these concepts? Been sober thirty-seven years. you all have a chance to do it quicker, to learn the medication that other people who have longer-term sobriety has had to use. And if those people tell you it's all God, walk away from them backwards fast. You could go to your church to hear that, or your synagogue, or your mosque, or your temple, that it's all God. It's God manifested in the medication we need for a chronic disease. as my sponsor would say, don't get too good before you get too well. I need tremendous amount of medication every day to stay comfortable. Yes, God's part of it. But let me tell you, I got to my sickest when I was only using God when I didn't realize I had a disease. And, you know, I'm 81. I'm not going to be here that long to say all this. Maybe I will. Who knows? But what happens? You're not going to hear this bullshit from many other people. Excuse the language. You're just going to say, oh, God's great. So you're going to hear, God's doing this all. God's keeping me sober today. God this, God that. I wish you well. If you have diabetes and you talk that way, I don't have to do crap if I had diabetes. All I have to do is know the right prayers to me. No, the prayer has to be God, help me take my insulin today. God does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. So I say a lot of things that make people uncomfortable. Biss, I'm a nut. (laughs) I like to make people uncomfortable. I can't, who knows? (laughs) I'm a rebel. And I could be a thousand percent wrong. Bess, there is no right or wrong in this program. I'm just sharing with you how I don't speak for essay as a whole. I'm sharing with you how. I've had to stay sober one day at a time. And my prayers are prayers of gratitude to a power that I will never understand. Once I understand that power, I've become the power. And all I have to do is what the book says to have the spiritual awakening. I do my steps having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps. We carry this message to other people. But how, what for me has been the message I carry to be happy, joyous, and free. The joy of living is our theme. And I read yesterday that if you're giving and you're not feeling joy, it means you're still giving with strings attached. In our program, we give. Without strings attached, this we might never see people again. But we give, and it's in the giving is the joy. And it takes one day at a time. It's taking me thirty-seven years. One person, thousands of years ago, it took him forty-nine days. Another person spent 40 days in the wilderness. Another person spent 40 days on top of a mountain peak. For me, I'm not even close with 37 years. (laughs) But I get little glimpses of life without my ego being so involved. And that's been my spiritual awakening.
3: Hi, thank you for the opportunity. Um, Harvey, I have a question about uh, dopamine. I heard you talk about dopamine once, like how how it feels like dying if if the brain chemistry... W- gets confused and that's what i am experiencing i have a kind of imbalanced brain chemistry hdhd something like it and um do you have any recommendations how to um how to balance brain chemistry and how to uh, go through that withdrawal, because I react. I feel my disease, I feel my addictions stronger, getting stronger. Once my brain chemistry is out of balance. Do you have any recommendations? Thank you.
1: I'm going to talk around it. There's this wonderful um, uh, There's a good video that talks about the chemistry. But he quotes from the French author, Uh, Marcel Proust and Proust wrote this little story called The Mandolin and apparently I don't know French but I think mandolin is a French cookie like cake and When he was a little boy, his nurse brought him this mandolin. And it was so magnificent, so delicious, that for the rest of his life, he went from bakery to bakery to find one as good as that. First one. So in this video, it explains what happened to this author. What happened was when his tongue tasted it, a new serotonin dopamine pathway formed in his brain. A good feeling happened. Once that pathway is formed, nothing could match it that first time because it was from nothing to something, a new brain pathway developed. So, what happens in addiction is we get a sensation that is new to the brain, a new pathway forms. And we can never replicate it, duplicate it, that sensation again. So we have to increase the dosage to get that sensation like the original one. That's called tolerance, how our body keeps needing a bigger dose. In sexual addiction, it shows up in our fantasies and our acting out behavior. They have photographs of dendrites. They have shown where these connections get formed and if long enough, some of them actually will pull away if you don't keep replicating it. But that's another story. But for us, it's not what you could do. That's with doctors and other people. In recovery, what we do is tell ourselves the truth. I'm going through withdrawal, I will not die. I feel a death experience, but I will not die. Most people cannot get through withdrawal in this program. And no two people have the exact same routine. Some people have a longer withdrawal than others. But the gimmick is to be able to say, this is not real. I will not die. You're getting a death experience, a drowning, like you were drowning, and you would do anything, including pulling people down with you. And how does Roy, not Roy, how does Bill W. call it in chapter five? And we were reborn. Well, you're
3: reborn if you die. I feel like I'm having these little withdrawals several times a day. Like, it's not one time I go through it and then I'm reborn. I feel like it's going up and down all the time. And uh, I try to balance with whatever, coffee and blah, blah, blah. blah. But it's never... Never unbalanced.
1: How does a heroin addict finally have to do it? They have to go cold turkey. Now, in AA, they had people in a hospital for five days. In the States, where they have a lot of sexual addiction treatment programs, they will keep you, they'll help you detox where someone will be with you all the time where you can't go in and masturbate or you can't do such and such Mm. where the body actually has to go through the withdrawal. Some people need medication. There are some medicines that block certain of those reactions. People who smoke cigarettes go through this. Let me tell you, it's not easy or people wouldn't still be smoking. The most difficult drug for withdrawal is nicotine. It has shortest yeah. withdrawal. Within two hours, you start withdrawing. And it's a tough one. But it's very much like set lust. If you nicotine, if you're depressed, it will make you feel good. And if you're too high, it will tranquilize you. Masturbation will do the same thing. If you're, if you need energy, you masturbate in the morning. If you want to go to sleep at night, you masturbate at night. If you're edgy and masturbate throughout the day for a tranquilizer. Our lust drug is a unbelievable drug, and most of us have been using it before we even knew what sex was since we were kids. Mm, thank, you.
3: thank you. Thank you. Okay. By the the way, next.
1: This is a good question, Miss. I want to share something with you. We started this series. Series with approximately two hundred seventy people, seventy nine people. About a hundred and one have shown up this time. Most people are not interested in a lot of this. This, they, They just desperately want help for their first step, second step. Most people cannot get through that first step. The physical allergy accompanied by a mental obsession. And This is what happens in the fellowship as a whole. Very, excuse me, it's not very often you'll be hearing about step 12 because most meetings are about step one and two. And people, you know, hopefully need to go to any length to get through the detox.
4: Uh, my name is Alan. I'm a sexaholic, uh, sober for um, two years plus, abstinent that time. Um, it has been due to a a treatment called Eligard. I have prostate cancer. I received this Eligard stuff that uh, it's been like a unfair advantage. I mean, OK, it's for my cancer, but I haven't had lust. And um, so I've experienced this feeling of not having lust not having the craving and um that's the only way that your question harvey relates to um um my reply in that domain um my question to you is um well i've been a bit anxious lately because i i quit the the stuff in a, in a november um and i hope others will um well, I quit it in November and so sometime in May, June or so like that, my uh mm, my body may be starting to resume some normal hormonal kind of stuff. And I've been future tripping, like, oh, I'm really scared. I'm really I have to work a stronger program so that I can um be ready for if and when. Um uh, that's that's my comment, and um, I mean, I that's my my that's what's going on. I don't know if you can say anything uh, on this, Harvey.
1: I will, and then let's switch to church awakening. I've spoken about these things before. That when you make SA a religion. You get in a box and you say everyone has to be able to respond to the 12 steps. Some people are just too ill to just do it through meetings and the 12 steps. There have been many people over the years who have gone to treatment and still relapsed other people who have done everything possible and their disease gets worse and worse. And time and again, I'll get the calls from these people, their sponsors tell them to call me. And I recommend hormone. Not personally, I tell them go find a doctor to get them on that hormone. Quite a few people in the program who are about to get arrested, need chemical castration for a while. And some people need chemical castration indefinitely. From what I've seen over the years. Some people actually still can have sex with their wives, but their whole lust system. Now, how did I know about some of this from, well, one of our early people in Nashville Was on it for a while. But then there was this man who was, you know, trying to kill himself because of one relapse after another. And I recommended it that he go see a a physician about it, about getting on a chemically castration, which means taking for a male a female hormone. And he did, and he got sober. Must have been sober over a year. And one day he called me, and he said, I relapsed. And I said, oh, your doctor must have cut your dosage down. He said, how did you know? <laughs> um, I asked him once he got back on it, and he did well again. I said, what's the difference? Why, what's happening? Why is this working? He said, before I had the thought and I had to act on it immediately, instantaneously. Now I get a thought, same thought, but I get a moment in time, a space where I can use the program the steps of the program, the tools of the program. Over the years, I have recommended it uh, quite a few times to people. Um, Different strokes for different folks. uh, But don't expect this this step work to work if you are so totally intoxicated that you need either a treatment center to help. Because in AA, that's certainly what happened. They would have them in the hospital for five days. Now, some people relapse and relapse and don't need any medication and eventually get sober. There's no way I, I know an answer. I just know that there are different approaches. Um, Of the people who got sober in Nashville, and there will be an article coming out, they asked us to write one from Nashville on how Nashville began and what we did and how we got sober. Of that original group, there are five of us who at least have 30 years or more sobriety. One of those, two of them are in other parts of the country now, but one of those needed three treatment centers before he got sober. Now, I don't know. I just know what worked for me. What worked for me was I had to reach a bottom. I needed to get venereal diseases time and again, give them to my wife, do despicable behavior. (laughs) I laugh when I say it. I I remember some of the stuff I did. I said, that's crazy. Not, I used to try to seduce policemen for sex. I mean, how much more insane can you get? (laughs) This is a true disease. It affects our judgment center in our brain. Look it up. Don't take it from me. There are wonderful videos. There are wonderful books on the chemistry of addiction. I'm biased. I'm going to tell you my beliefs, but they're not true. They're not false. They're my beliefs that have worked for me. That's another one of my spiritual awakenings. It worked for me. It's not dogma.
2: Hey, Harvey, doing calls, meetings, doing what my sponsor's telling me to, I keep getting resentment experiences. I surrender them, call people, and let God take it. But then the next day, something else happens that causes me to get angry and once again to surrender it and to need to surrender it. If I'm getting resentment, does that mean I'm not working the program well enough? Or is this just a normal experience of a sexaholic in recovery? There are three things in Chapter 5. Only three
1: things. Resentment, fear, and sex. Those are the three main places in our hypothalamus. In that part of our brain that's probably damaged, the limbic system. That little computed chip in our brain is the thirst center the eating center, the reproductive center, and the fight-or-flight center, which is anger or fear. Anger, for me, was addictive too, was just another drug. Many of us in Nashville studied this book called the uh, anger Busters uh, 0101, and we'd meet together, at a separate meeting before our regular meetings. Um, and fear is another drug. If you think about it, resentment does this, anger does the same thing. Lust does. We'll go into blackouts, we forget what we've done. All kinds of stuff. Fear, too. So, you know, these are important topics. Uh, It took me years to deal with my anger issues. I needed therapy. But I did not need talk therapy. Because I manipulate the therapist too well. I needed experiential therapy for two years in group and individually, where I yelled it out and vomited it out and beat it out. I had to get it out. Then after 20 years of recovery or so, this happened after about four years, after 20 years, it started coming back big time and i had a terrible episode with my daughter in law who stopped talking to me for 3 years because i got into this rage attack turned out i went to the doctor my testosterone was too low once i got on the proper uh, on testosterone supplement i haven't had a rage attack since been 10 15 years A lot of this is just not, am I working my program okay enough? It's letting go of old ideas. Hey, I am working a good program. This is still happening. What can I do to add on to this? my my high blood pressure goes sky high if I'm not on medication I'm going to get irritable if I'm not on the right medication you could tell I get a little edgy with all this because I I'm being judgmental but see it's so difficult to get out of the religious model of a spiritual program where your mind says, I'm doing this and this in the program, it should work. And then the blinders go on, just like we do with religion. No, this is a spiritual program. So how does that work? You share it in a group and you say, hey, I'm still raging. Has anyone in the group had this problem? If so, can you talk to me after a meeting? And you find out how they dealt with it, just like you're asking here. I needed all kinds of therapy in my 37 years of recovery. The 12 steps of my life, everything is in the 12 steps for me. But it's not everything I do. It's in it. So my religion is now part of my 11th step. My (laughs) therapy that I went to, the experiential therapy and others, was part of my 10th step it's not different then it's all part of my spiritual life that is that i get through the 12 steps but we're not used to that kind of thinking we're used to we are the chosen our religion is the only religion there is only one way to do that this particular religion, and this gets brought right in to our program. It's programming that (laughs) through the 11th step you start becoming mindful of how you do this. And it's not easy to let go of old ideas. This is not a religion. It's a spiritual program. And how do I say that and look at you straight? Is that in the big book, it says we seek ministers, we seek doctors, we seek psychiatrists, whatever. It says we can seek other things. This is not the end all. This is the framework for my life. This is my life. It's my breath, the 12 step program.
2: Hi, my name is Yako. Um, can you hear me? Yes. It awesome. Hi, Yako. Hey, so I've been clean for eight months. And in the past eight months, I noticed that the hardest thing for me was to enjoy myself. Like, I don't know if you see, but I'm in a certain place. Maybe you can uh, notice it. And it's a very hard physical place. And every time we finish a long walk or something very hard, the only thing I want to do is just go out for a run and not because I'm stronger than everybody because I feel like I can do a little bit better. Why? Am I, why am I not perfect? Why am I not taking hundred percent out of me and it's sometimes not even true it sometimes damages my legs but I still do it and I don't I just don't know how to how to enjoy myself every time I want to do something good I feel bad today I wanted to see a movie and then I said no but I've got to read in the white book and as I the more I read the better and I needed to do so many circles just so I can see one hour of a movie it was a great movie thank God but it was so hard for me and it's very hard for me to feel good with doing stuff that I like. I would like to hear. Thank you.
1: My sponsor would say, Harvey, you could either wear the program as a straight jacket or a loose coat. If you wear it as a straight jacket, for those with English, not their primary language. A straitjacket is when you're psychotic and mentally ill and you could hurt other people. They put you in this special jacket where you can't move your arms. He said, if you work this program, use it like a straitjacket, you will eventually break out of it. Wear it as a loose coat. That's not easy because of the damage in our brain goes into fear. Oh, I'm not doing it right. I'm going to lose my sobriety. This will happen. That will happen. Same old story we do with God, the punishing God. If I pick my nose twice, he's going to strike me dead can only do it once. So don't worry about getting joy. Just keep doing your steps. One step at a time. Okay? One step at a time. And you'll either let go and loosen up Or one day you will go on a hike and afterwards you'll fall down and fall asleep in the middle of nowhere. (laughs) There's just so much you can do. And then we reach our bottom. And we've all had to go through reaching our bottoms in different places. And character defects. Are you doing a fourth step with your sponsor? Yakov? Yeah. What? Can you hear me? No. Um, Yeah. Have you done
2: your step? I haven't finished it. I haven't done it yet. No. I'm doing 10th step sometimes. Every time something goes up, I do the tenth step. but Not the, the point. tenth
1: step till you do the fourth step. Okay, erase that. That's all right. We told you the <laughs> kind of strange thing: the tenth step would be where it is after the third step. <laughs> These are steps. Now you could try it doing it your way, but I suggest you <laughs> Not my follow. The suggestion, because for me, and it shows up in your 10th step, so I'm not putting it down, but it's best to just do your fourth step, get it over with, otherwise it hangs over your head like a black cloud. And then how can you feel joy if you're always worried about doing your fourth step? Get it over with. You can't screw it up. You can't screw up your fourth step. And you always have the tenth to pick it up. But for my fourth and tenth step, one of my character defects is greed. I can't ever get enough. So I can't do the steps well enough. I need to do them better. I can't get enough seeds. I need more. Need more money. Need more accolades. It's always more. That's greed. That's one of the things I needed to do in my fourth step, to look at greed. Will you commit to me (laughs) and text me in a week that you finished your fourth step? should hardly take you any length of time. Like I wish should. I
2: could. I can't. No, the truth is in the place I am, I don't know what's gonna be my day. Sometimes I get ten minutes off. Sometimes I get more. But that's my next challenge. And that's so gonna be you the get first
1: out of the place you're in. It. I assume you're in the army.
2: Yeah, I am in yeah. the army.
1: When'd you get out?
2: In two years.
1: <laughs> two years. Have you patted yourself on the back saying you're a miracle? What a wonderful program you're working. To me. How can you be joyous if you're not giving yourself credit? You're in the military under extreme physical, mental conditions, and you're staying sober. If this isn't the Red Sea, pardon. What is this? Is miracles of all miracles, but you're going to be too busy talking about what you're not doing rather than saying, Wow, I'm doing something right because I'm staying so.
2: If there's anything you want to kind of wrap up the series with, or anything extra you want to add.
1: Yeah, the program works. It just works. But it especially works by not learning new things, but by letting go of old ideas. Letting go of old ideas. And the best new idea we get, we let go of the old idea that we're slime balls, that we're despicable people, that we're perverts. Although I'm a pervert, what can I do? But other than that, we're maybe not. Um We start saying, I am a good and worthwhile. Human being worthy of recovery today. And the way I like to say it best is God doesn't make shit. I can't be garbage because I was created in its image. And what is that image? The big book tells us love and tolerance is our code. Love and tolerance. So when all this ego goes, we get love This we're all one. We're all the waves in this massive ocean. So we're all composed of the same ocean. We just look different. The waves, the top of the waves look different. But when we look down, we're all fuss, all water, all ocean. This is a program the world has looked for. Looked for. And I am getting so old at 37 years, I have been able to see how the 12-step program has infiltrated Christian churches where 12-step programs are being used and I'm now seeing it influence Jewish places. It is transcending religion because it is one of the greatest spiritual movements that has ever been created. I'm not talking religion movements, I'm talking spiritual, spiritus, breath, the present, the moment. Love for each other. Now, my sponsor would say there are people in the program that if he were cremated together with them, he couldn't warm up to them. But So you don't have to like everyone, but we sure could love everyone. Because we're all one. This God is one. Everything's one. There is nothing else. And on that note, I love y'all. My ego will miss doing some of this. (laughs) But I won't for a while. (laughs) I need a break. (laughs) And um, by the way, I want to end by saying, Joy, the joy of living. A week ago, you know, it's been a few weeks after my COVID, two shots. I started going to yoga class. I'm doing yoga four times a week, go to a weight trainer twice a week. You know, it's a lie when we talk about age. My body is 81. My mind's not real. So my mind tells me I'm an old guy. No. The real me has nothing to do with my age. And so I just see more and more beautiful things out there to participate in, to broaden myself. And take it one day at a time, and the journey never stops surprising me in a positive way. And there is no destination. This is not about going to heaven or not going to hell. There is no destination in this program, it's a pure journey, just the journey. What joy to meet you all that have friends from all over the world. Friends I really care about because I'm a loner and I don't have to socialize with you. <laughs> I talk to you. I tell you all my secrets, but I don't have to do much else with you. <laughs> because I'm a loner. That's how I embrace myself. That's what I do. So it's a miracle I could reach out and talk to other people and get one more day of sobriety. Love you all. Happy holidays to all my friends of the different religions this coming few weeks. Bye-bye.
0: I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members.